Our story begins with 17-year-old Joseph out shepherding with his 11 brothers. He's young, he's idealistic, he's attractive. Someone laugh. He's on the cusp of adulthood, of adventure, love, marriage, career, success. The world's at Joseph's feet as far as he can see. But his brothers, older, perhaps more worldly wise, perhaps more cynical, and as this story will reveal, with a tendency to murderous intent. Well, Joseph's brothers disagree with him. Unfortunately for them... Their father seems to agree with young Joseph's rose-tinted view of himself. Genesis 37, verse 5 onwards reads, Now, Israel, that's the other name of their father, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brother saw that their father loved him more than any of them, They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, if, like Jacob with Joseph, my own dad decided that my sister was his favourite because of when she was born to him and decided that he loved her more than me and therefore he made her an exclusive designer piece by Derek, stitched in love, (laughs) woven in devotion, crafted in devoted affection for just her and I didn't even get a bog-standard Primark jacket as some kind of pity prize, I might also, just like the brothers, be slightly annoyed. Although, let's put ourselves in Joseph's shoes. Or sleeves. Thank you. It's not, thank you. It's not actually his fault that his father favoured him over the others. So far in the story, it doesn't look like he's actually done anything to deserve being despised by his brothers. This awkward situation is a tiny, tiny bit like when after mine and Ben's wedding, uh, when my grandma sent us a thank you card, in the card she wrote, Holly, you looked beautiful. I'll never forget it. Ben, you look nice too. (laughs) Obviously, I'm her favourite. She is my grandma after all, but I didn't do anything to earn that praise or favouritism, and so Ben couldn't then despise me for that. So to be fair, the brothers do also seem a little bit unreasonable here. So thus far, we found out Joseph is his father's favourite. He hasn't done anything to earn it. He hasn't even been sucking up. So his brothers are rather harsh in despising him for it. However, does this make, does this make him tread carefully with his brothers? No. Joseph is pretty unapologetic about the whole family dynamic. He's totally unembarrassed that he's his father's favourite. Well, I reckon Joseph is a hero of the faith because of this lack of embarrassment. He's not embarrassed that he's his father's favourite. In fact, I reckon he wore his technicolour coat with pride and with love for his father. His father Jacob adored him and the coat, that gorgeous, gaudy robe, was a stamp of Jacob's affection. It was Jacob saying, you are amazing. I love you, Joseph. I love you just because you were born you and I want to give you good gifts which set you apart from anyone else. I want to clothe you in something beautiful and majestic to show everyone that you are my precious child. Joseph was unembarrassed 
by how much his father loved him. Doesn't matter if it's a bit cheesy or uncool or a bit keen or Donny Osmond. He loves that his father loves him. And this got me thinking. Are we embarrassed about how much God the Father loves us? We are his children. All over the Bible it says that he first loved us. He sings over us. We have caught his eye. He catches his breath when he sees us. God says to you, I love you. I love you just because you were born you. I want to give you good gifts which set you apart from anyone else and clothe you in something beautiful and majestic and show everyone that you are my precious child. You, every one of you, are God's favourite. Does that make you feel a bit embarrassed? It's a bit gooey, a bit full on. Does it make you feel a bit awkward? Because it, it does for me. I really, it makes me feel awkward and embarrassed, but I don't think we need to get all emotional. I think the fact that we're the object of God's affection is solid and real and written down. It's written down physically in thousands of different ways in the Bible. It's not just something that someone felt and decided to spread around. It's actually true. To me, Joseph's coat is a representation of that unapologetic, blazingly bright and gaudy love of a father. I wouldn't want to wear something that makes me stand out that much, although my fashion sense maybe says otherwise. (laughs) I wouldn't want to wear something that puts me in the spotlight, particularly if, like with Joseph, I'm in a place where I'm already unpopular, to say the least. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) I didn't even know what that was. I want to wear something that makes me look cool, apart from that dance didn't, to blend in with everyone else. And maybe just some subtle accessorising that references God. I don't want a massive coat about it. Um, Joseph knows and owns that his father loves him. He lives by it and he wears it on his sleeve. He's utterly secure in it, even secure in the face of hostility. Because later on, his brothers throw him down a well, tear his coat to pieces, drench it in goat blood and ruin it. It's as if they think that by getting Joseph out of the picture and destroying the coat, that it'll ruin all that the coat means. That Joseph was their father's favourite, the one stamped with love and affection from him and destined for a technicolour future. But obviously, it's not just the coat, because Joseph, whether wearing the coat or not, still wears that security and identity as loved beyond measure, as a precious child of his father. He knows it and lives by it and is totally unembarrassed by it, even when it gets him into trouble and then some. So do you feel a bit embarrassed? Do you feel embarrassed about being God's child sometimes? Or you're just wondering how this outrageous fatherly display of love fits in with real life and conversations and going to work tomorrow. Whilst Joseph being unembarrassed is heroic, In this story, he doesn't always get it right. After all, he's not perfect. He has this gift of being unembarrassed, but he gets it a little bit wrong. The writer of Genesis doesn't say whether they think it's good or bad, or even comment on how Joseph deals with the situation, so it's left to us to suss it out. Joseph's lack of embarrassment is admirable, heroic. But he's so unembarrassed 
that he actually deals with the situation really insensitively. He's so secure in being loved by his father and his identity that he just splurges out this dream that God has given him at the risk of getting it wrong. And oh my word, does Joseph get it wrong. Chapter 37, verse 5. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed to it. <laughs> the issue comes, I feel, when anyone begins a conversation with, I had a dream last night. In the history of all conversations, I'm not sure this has ever gone down particularly well. It's always met with a really awkward silence because you've revealed something about your subconscious that you definitely shouldn't have. Or just with this bored stare of, why, why are you talking about this? How did you think this was going to enhance or help our conversation in any way? Now, imagine your 11 angry brothers already aren't speaking to you or even acknowledging your existence, except to be horrible about you because your dad can't stifle the fact that he loves you the most. And so it's given you a technicolour robe to make it as obvious as possible. You can't not wear the robe because your dad will get upset and think you don't like the robe. But whenever you wear it, your brothers hate you more than ever. So it's a bit of a catch-22 situation. But the thing definitely not to do is then begin a conversation with, hey guys, I had a dream last night and in it all of you were bowing down to me. That's not the way to do it. So unsurprisingly, the Bible then tells us that they then hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. I really like that. I think it's Joseph's next move that really shows how he is truly the king of awkward insensitivity. Having seen the reaction of his brothers to the first dream, he says, listen, I had another dream. And this time, the sun a moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. Joseph is so unembarrassed by being his father's favourite and these dreams that he tells them to his brothers who hate him twice. <laughs> and it's yet another example of him being totally unembarrassed. Unembarrassed of being his father's beloved favourite. Yes, but also unembarrassed of the glimpses he's been given of God's dreams for his life. The dream he's had is God's dream for his life. This dream is the foretelling of Joseph eventually being the key to the deliverance of his family and his nation. This will bring him authority and admiration, hence the bowing down stuff, even more so than his technicolour coat. God... Nobody else, not even Joseph himself, sets that direction for his life. Joseph has no idea what this literally looks like or how winding the path will be. But he's told that he is clothed in hope for the rest of his life. Coat or no coat. And Joseph embraces this. He embraces and shares what God has said to him at the risk of getting it wrong. Yeah, what he says is from God, but he delivers it arrogantly and insensitively, which isn't really okay, but there's something admirable to learn about how unembarrassed he is, even though what God has shared with him, being served and bowed down to by his family, is an awkward message. It's something they wouldn't want to hear, something you wouldn't expect to hear, and it looks um, incredibly unlikely to happen anyway. 
Once again, stepping in to Joseph's shoes or sleeves, there's more reasons to be embarrassed to share God's dream for his life than to keep it to himself. God has set the direction of eternity, never mind just your life and mine. He may not have given you a literal dream about it, but it's even more certain for us as it was for Joseph. It's in the Bible. You hear it at church and you're hearing it now because God's, because of his love for you, you're clothed in hope, coat or no coat, for the rest of your life. As we'll see with Joseph, it won't keep you out of trouble, prison, danger and unpopularity and if anything, it'll get you knee deep in those things. But when we take God's long-term view of our entire lives and of eternity, on the whole, it's better to share what God is saying at the risk of getting it, in, getting it wrong or saying it insensitively than to not say it at all. From looking at Joseph, it makes me want to ask myself, and I hope you'll ask yourself the same question. Do I share God's dream for our lives at the risk of embarrassment or just saying it a bit wrong? Fast forward in our story. Joseph's brothers, incensed by his powerful dreams, decide to bump him off. Snatching his lovely coat, they throw him down a well. Having decided not to kill him today, then seeing some merchants passing by, they take their chance and sell Joseph as a slave to the merchants. The merchants travel to Egypt, selling Joseph to Potiphar, one of the pharaoh's officials. Meanwhile, the brothers take the bloody rags of the technicolor coat to Jacob, their father, spinning him a line about a ferocious accident with an animal and Joseph, and Jacob mourns inconsolably. Back in Egypt, Joseph is watched over and blessed by God, and Potiphar gets a whiff of this in seeing that everything Joseph does is brilliant, and so he promotes him to the point where Joseph is basically in charge of everything that Potiphar has. Unfortunately, Potiphar's wife also gets a whiff of our delightful Joseph and so desperately tries to seduce him. And then when he resists and resists again, she's so annoyed that she grabs his cloak and tells Potiphar, her husband, that he's tried it on with her. Potiphar, feeling betrayed, throws Joseph into the royal dungeon. But God is still with Joseph. The prison warden gets a whiff of this and puts him in charge of everything that you can possibly be in charge of whilst you're in prison. Chapter 40, in the prison. Joseph notices the two most recent inmates are upset and he approaches them, asking if he can help. These two inmates, the pharaoh's former cupbearer and baker, share difficult dreams they've been having, which Joseph offers to interpret by God's help. First, the cupbearer and his grape-based dream. Joseph explains as the foretelling of the cupbearer's safe restoration to his former position in Pharaoh's court. Joseph asks that the cupbearer please remember him when this happens and help him out since he's in prison unjustly anyway. Encouraged, the baker shares his unsurprisingly bread-based dream. Joseph then, in true insensitive form, tells him he's headed for imminent execution. He does not ask for the baker's help, funnily enough, but at least Joseph tells him the truth. The cupbearer, after only three days, sees his dream come true. He's restored. The baker also sees his dream come true. He gets impaled. However, chapter 40, verse 23. The cupbearer did not remember Joseph. 
He forgot him for two years. So Joseph is in prison, serving those in society who everyone wants to forget about, and then even gets forgotten by them. But he doesn't drop the dream stuff. Despite all that has happened, beatings, theft, slavery, attempted seduction, injustice, false allegations, and an indefinite prison sentence, he digs out the old dream routine again. Having been through all that drama, he doesn't think, oh, well, I guess the dream thing isn't really from God because it's clearly not going very well forward and it hasn't even come true. I'm not even in the same country as my brothers anymore. Never mind being bowed down to. If you put yourself in Joseph's shoes again, or sleeves, not knowing the eventual outcome of the tale, you would not think the dream thing was true anymore, right? You'd be embarrassed of how life looks considering how you were boasting before. But he trusts that the message, the dream, God's dream for him, has a purpose. Even though so far, it's only served to get him thrown into jail and sold into slavery. So it's not a great success rate. How embarrassing. But our unembarrassed Joseph doesn't lose hope in that original message of God's dream over his life. Just because he's been put in prison, even though the first dream seems absolutely unlikely to happen now, given that he's in Egypt serving an indefinite prison sentence, totally insignificant and totally forgotten by society, as well as hundreds of miles from his family, he holds on to that original thing that God's given him, and he lives by its terms, not by the terms of insignificance or the terms of embarrassment. In fact, when eventually remembered by the cupbearer, following a stint of confusing dreams for Pharaoh, Joseph still doesn't drop the dream routine. He doesn't beg for justice or a royal reprieve before Pharaoh. He remembers the dream that God gave him and trusts that it's not just for him, but that the dream has given him insight and wisdom that needs to be shared, even with the most powerful man on earth once again at the risk of getting it wrong or being embarrassed. And it all turns out amazingly. In fact, even more than amazingly, Joseph stands before Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth at that time, with everything to lose, yet everything to gain. Being asked to interpret a dream, and he says, I cannot do it, but God can Talk about unembarrassment. Talk about humility. He could get everything at this point. Dreams coming true. People bowing down. But he refuses to believe that he can do it by himself. Our boy has grown up. From his arrogant, insensitive boasting to his brothers, he's now giving God all the credit. And he actually does nail it. He interprets Pharaoh's dream dead on and earns himself the position of being Pharaoh's most trusted right-hand man. Joseph hasn't become this perfect hero now because he learns a bit of humility. He remains the same unapologetic, unembarrassed Joseph, just with the edges knocked off by some life experience and realising that his dream belonged to God all along. Unembarrassed Joseph. If we were to read the rest of the story, 
we see that his life forms a critical moment in the transition from the family of Israel to the, its growth in Egypt as a nation. But along the way, sometimes he gets it wrong. Sometimes he nails it. And sometimes life's just rubbish anyway. Throughout his story, he's unembarrassed at being his father's beloved favourite. He's unembarrassed about God's dream for his life and the direction that God set over his life. And he's unembarrassed by the troubles, insignificance and eventual power that he ends up in. So, what should we do? First, let's be unembarrassed about how God our Father loves us. That for each of us, he wants to clothe us in hope. Second, let's be unembarrassed to share God's dream for us, whether literal or not. That he's clothed us in hope and has set the direction over our lives and spoken over our lives, even in a book which is thousands of years old. Third, let's recognise that it's God's dream and it's long term and it's not ours. So we're going to start and respond by using the colouring in sheets that you've been given just to doodle on. Feel free to just doodle away on them. We're going to write or draw what it is that makes you feel embarrassed about God. Is it because it's something that he's asking you to share? Is it that you think he'll change you into a a Joseph cheesy Donny Osmond-esque dreamer? Is it because it's a bit emotionally intense? It's a bit too close for comfort. Write it down or draw it. You are all God's favourites. What makes you feel embarrassed about that? And as you draw or write for the next couple of minutes, it's a prayer. It's a prayer to say sorry to God for being embarrassed of him. It's a prayer to go forward with the courage to be unembarrassed of God. What he's asking you to share and his dream for your life. It's a prayer to pick up what God's original dream for your life. Because perhaps it just feels like so far it hasn't worked out. All the signs are saying that it's only seemed to have got you into trouble so far. So whether you feel closer to God than ever before, or further than you felt possible to be, or just a little bit apathetic about it, whether you're getting it wrong, whether you're nailing it, or life's just rubbish, I want to ask God to equip us all with this gift of unembarrassment as we write and draw. So grab yourself a piece of paper and a couple of crayons. I'm going to take two minutes to do this now.